0: Alrighty, good morning everyone. It's great to be here with y'all. My name is Tim Greeno. I'm one of the pastors here at Walnut Creek. And uh, if you are visiting us this morning or newer with us, I want to say welcome to you. Um, We are going to be studying in the book of Romans together this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you or a Roman study guide, you can get it out. Open up to Romans uh, chapter 5. We're going to be in Romans 5 today. And as you uh, get those out, I wanted to mention, so if you are newer with us, maybe you're newer in the last couple months here coming to church, uh, today we've got a Lunch and Learn called Starting Point right after our second service. And I want to invite you to join us for that if you, uh, like I said, are newer with us in the church. It's a, just an interactive dialogue for us as pastors and staff to get to know some of the folks that are newer to the church, and then also to help you uh, kind of navigate your way forward in the church, help you to know how to get connected, how to learn a little bit more uh, information about the church. So like I said, that's going to happen right after our second service, so probably about noon Uh, We'll get started. It's going to be up in the Kids Activity Center. So if you head up the stairs, you'll take a left and head back into the kids area, and you'll find us in there uh, having the starting point. So um, like I mentioned, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 today, and we're studying the first five verses of Romans 5. And to get our time started, we'll just go ahead and read our text, and then we'll pray, and we'll dive into it. Okay, so Romans 5, starting in verse 1, says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Okay, that is a wonderful passage of scripture that we're going to be tackling together this morning. But before we dive into it, let's go ahead and pray and ask that God would really have a hold of our hearts today and that our hearts would be submitted under him. So I'm going to invite you to just join me. Bow your heads with me. You can join me in prayer here. Heavenly Father, God, we, we thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you that through Christ we have peace with you. We are not your enemies, God. We have peace with you through Christ. God, thank you that through Christ we have access to, To you by grace. And God thank you that ultimately we can rejoice. Even in the midst of afflictions. God I pray. Today you'd help us to genuinely wrestle. With the idea of joy in afflictions. God humble our hearts. To believe what is true in you. Give us your joy today God. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. Well, I, I know it might be hard to believe, uh, but this summer I'm going to be turning 39 years old. Now, I've always said life ends at 40, so got one more good year to make it count. But for the last 19 years, I've been following Jesus. The last uh, eight, almost nine, I've been pastoring in our church. And one of the things that uh, following Jesus and especially pastoring has allowed me to do over the last 19 years or so, is to get to know literally thousands of people. I've had the opportunity to sit down over a cup cup of coffee with probably hundreds of people over the last couple of decades. And one of my favorite things to do in the world really is to just get to know people, to see what makes them tick. Okay, And in all of my years of getting to know people and trying hard to figure them out, uh, here's what I've concluded. Nobody likes genuine affliction nobody no one actually enjoys real suffering and affliction now affliction pain suffering it is different for every person we we need to recognize affliction is subjective not objective You know, for some people, they would see running as affliction. If you were forced to, like, go out and just run four miles, (laughs) like, and we call them normal people. Normal people would feel like that is affliction. Other people, they love running, and so when it's taken away from them because of injury or something else, that's the affliction. Or you think about just coming to church. Like, for some people going to church, or opening their Bible, or sitting down to pray. Like, that would be genuine affliction. I I have a good friend, he he says all the time, Christianity is is a terrible hobby. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, if you're not a believer, those things would be so painful to come to church and have to sing with other grown people. But if you're in Christ... We see there's so much life in gathering with God's people, in sitting down and being in His word, in, in praying. and when that's taken away from us, when we can't gather with God's people, that's the affliction. See, affliction, it can be unique. It's in the eye of the beholder. It is subjective, not objective, but nobody likes genuine affliction. In fact, I would argue that our dislike of the circumstance is what clues us in that it's affliction for us in the first place. Like it's our genuine anger or grief or sadness that tells us, hey, for me, this is affliction. And when you experience trauma or deep disappointment or major inconvenience, Or really big hurts in a relationship, or the death of a loved one, or maybe just another Green Bay Packers meltdown in the playoffs. Nobody actually likes affliction when it happens to them. And yet, here's what Paul is going to argue in our passage today. As Christians, we are people who genuinely rejoice, even boast in our afflictions. As Christians, we rejoice. afflictions because we have hope that will not disappoint us okay and i don't think paul's wrong but i do think that what he's arguing for it demands a major attitude adjustment for most people christians included in the face of our real afflictions He's arguing a life-changing truth and he's going to make his case from the launch pad of everything that he has laid down for us up to this point, okay? To the first four chapters of Romans. And this is the foundation that Paul is going to be standing on as he gets into our passage today. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul spelled out the theology of the gospel, okay? He, he laid down the, the gospel message the, the truth that everyone is guilty because of sin and we all need the righteousness of Christ that only comes through faith in him. Then in chapter four, Paul gives us the proof of his theology, the proof of the gospel By bringing out the test case of Abraham and David, showing his theology, hey, these aren't just good-sounding ideas. This is rock-solid truth that we can stand on, and it even holds up under the scrutiny of the most important test in the world, which is the test against God's Word. Okay, now in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul is moving from theology to application. He's going to apply the gospel. What does it mean for our lives? How does it actually apply to us and impact our lives? Theology is his launch pad, and he's taking off into the arena of application. And in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, Paul is going to give us three points of application on what the gospel actually means to our real life. And this is the roadmap that Paul's going to use to lead us into joy in afflictions. Okay? Three applications of the gospel for your life. Number one, we have peace with God. How does the gospel apply to us and change us? Number one, we have peace with God. Number two, we have access to grace. And number three, this is where Paul spends the most time, we have joy. In afflictions. Ultimately, what he's driving towards is this we have joy in afflictions because of the truth of the gospel. Application number one we have peace with God. Because of the gospel, Paul argues that we have real peace with God. Now, before we get into that peace that we have with God, Paul is very clear right out of the gates. These are conditional applications. Romans 5, verse 1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's making a presupposition or a prerequisite. And the condition or the prerequisite he lays down is this. You have to have been justified by faith first for any of these applications to apply to your life. They're conditional. It is because we've been justified by faith that we then have peace with God and everything else that comes with it. Jesus only benefits you if you personally have faith in him. And I want to encourage you, if you have any doubts about whether or not you're actually in Christ, or if you have doubts about what it means to have saving faith in Christ in the first place, one thing that you can do later today is this, go back and listen to last week's message, okay? You can hop on the church website, go back and listen to last last week's message, because Paul, in Romans 4, he brings a lot of clarity in this area of faith, what it means even to have saving faith in Christ, okay? Okay? But for those who have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with Him. Now, the obvious implication of conditional peace with God on the condition of faith in Christ is that prior to coming to faith in Christ, prior to having faith in Christ... We didn't have peace with God. We were not friends with God. Instead, we were his enemies. We were living in sin, waging war against God. This is how Paul describes it in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, verse 21. He says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed by your evil actions. That's what was true of all of us at one point in our lives. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church. It doesn't matter if you've always felt like a good person. At some point in your life, what Paul is saying is this. Once you were alienated and hostile, an enemy of God because of our sin, our evil actions. But then he says this. Verse 22, Colossians 1, 22. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death, through the death of Jesus, to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. A friend of God, at peace with God. You used to be an enemy, but in Christ we're actually at peace with him. And how did it happen? Did we call a truce? Or did we stop sinning? Is that how we find ourselves with this peace? With God? No. He reconciled you by his own death. While we were his enemies, God sent Christ to die in our place. So he receives the death that God's enemies deserve, that we had earned, and we receive his holiness, his faultlessness, his blamelessness, that we can have peace with God. We have peace with God. Number two, we have access to grace. Romans 5 2. We have access to grace. We have also obtained access through Him, meaning Jesus, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. And we boast or we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access into God's grace. By which we stand. And this is the idea of grace. It means unmerited favor. Unmerited favor, okay? What does favor mean? Have you ever had somebody's favor before? Or have you ever, like, suspected, I think I might be my parents' favorite? What does that mean when we have favor? It means that there's like a compulsion within that person to do good to you, to be a blessing, to protect you, to provide for you. There is a compulsion within God to bless us, to do good for us, to protect us, to provide for us. It means that, that we have his favor. He desires our good. And we haven't earned it. And it's through this favor, his desire for us, This grace in which we stand that we can access his throne, his presence, and actually stand before him with confidence that he's for us. We can access the throne of God's grace. Hebrews 4, 16, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need the, the favor that we have before God, the grace that we have, it's exactly what we need to be able to approach him, to stand before him in, at his throne and know with confidence that he's for us, that he draws near to us, regardless of what our sin has earned, regardless of how disgusting our lives may have been. When we are enslaved to sin, regardless of how repulsive and offensive to God our sin is, we know through Christ that we are able to stand at his throne and he freely gives us mercy to help us in our time of need. He desires to help us in our time of need. He delights to see us at his throne and to know us and to be near to us because we have his grace and in his grace we stand. And through that, we even get to boast or rejoice in the hope of God's glory. This is incredible. Romans 5, 2, we have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and because of that, we boast or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But if you were with us Last fall, as we studied the first few chapters of Romans, you remember Romans 3, 23, Paul said, we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. See, we shouldn't be able to boast in God's glory. We shouldn't be able to rejoice in God's glory. In fact, God's glory, it should be the permanent reminder of our failure and our inability to actually live up to his standard. But here's what's true of us in Christ. Christ. Though we fall short, we actually get to share in his glory. And that's not like a clerical error. It's what Jesus has given to us. Colossians 3 verse 4. Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also get to appear with him in glory. For all of eternity, we will share in the very glory of God. Even though we were once his enemies... And we fall hopelessly short in our own selves of the glory of God through Christ. We have so much favor from God. So much grace that for all eternity we will get to share in the very glory of God. That is a ridiculous statement. And yet it's true. We have access to a grace that allows us to stand in the very presence of God and boast in the glory he shares with us. And number three, we have joy in affliction. We have joy in affliction. This is how the gospel applies to and changes our lives. We actually have joy unlike anyone else We have real, genuine joy in affliction. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we also boast or rejoice. That's what that word means. We rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If we're in Jesus, then even in our real afflictions, yeah, I'm, not tr- I'm not talking about like stuff that other people might find hard, but I, I just kind of, I enjoy the sweet pain of running. I mean, even in our afflictions, in our real afflictions, we have Genuine joy. And not only that, but what Paul's saying is, it's even crazier. He is saying, particularly in afflictions, we have joy. We have great joy. Now, remember what I said at the very beginning? Think of all of the people that I've met, interacted with, gotten to know, None of them like genuine afflictions. But God says through Paul for the Christian, particularly in afflictions, we have great joy. Now, is Paul saying that we should like the affliction itself? Is that what he's saying? Like, hey, you should be just a complete weirdo and like the affliction itself. No, Paul's not saying that. Is that the source of the joy that Paul is pointing to? No, he's not saying, hey, hey, I just want you to understand your, your circumstance that is devastating. Rejoice in that. He's not saying we should like the affliction itself. He's also not saying that we should shrink our emotional palate to only joy. Paul, Paul is not saying here. That the only feelings Christians should have is happiness and joy. Like, hey, your dog just died. Let's go. That's awesome. You're getting a divorce. Let's go. Round of beers on me. Hey, let's go do it. That's awesome. He's not saying that. He's also not saying that we need to refuse to process grief. Or to tackle hard things head on as though they're not actually... He's not saying that. He is not saying, hey, just cram all of the hard things down. Stuff them way down in there. Hide it all away. And just be happy. Put on a smile. Think happy thoughts. That is not what Paul's saying. He is not trying to shrink our emotional palate. Here's what he is saying, though. There is a path to joy in the midst of afflictions. There's a path to joy in the midst of afflictions. And as we explore this path to joy in the midst of afflictions, we're going to walk through it and by looking at three questions okay, that are going to lead us towards ultimately joy In the midst of affliction. Question number one What is the path that Paul prescribes? What's the path he gives us into great joy in the midst of afflictions? He's pretty clear about it. Okay? Look back at our passage, Romans 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we also boast or rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. What's the path? How do we experience joy in the midst of affliction? Afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And hope roots us in the spirit-filled, heart-penetrating love of God. That's the path. And ultimately, where joy is found in the midst of afflictions, it is in the spirit-filled, heart-penetrating love of God. You want to experience joy in the midst of afflictions? This is the route you need to take. Afflictions produce endurance. Joy is going to require endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Joy is going to require godly character. Proven character produces hope. Joy is going to require hope. And hope Is rooted in the spirit filled, heart penetrating love of God. And this is the implication I want you to understand. The path to joy in afflictions leads us to a place where you are so intimate with God, so honest with God about your hurts. So vulnerable with God about the grief or the anger or the bitterness that you are feeling. That you come to him and you allow him not to change your circumstances. But to heal your heart. To give you love in your heart. That only God can give through the spirit. As you process before him the grief or the anger or the bitterness that you are feeling in the midst of affliction. You let God heal your heart through the spirit-filled, heart-penetrating love of God. And you let Him help you to feel joy again in Him. That is the path that Paul prescribes. It isn't by running away from our circumstances. It is not by hiding our feelings are cramming them and shoving them down. It is by walking the path of endurance, character, and hope right into the presence of God that He may heal your heart. So, question number two is this Will we all experience then joy in affliction? Are we all going to experience joy in affliction? I'll tell you, the obvious common sense answer is no. No, we will not. And we know that. We see this all the time, even amongst Christians. We see Christians not experiencing joy in their afflictions all the time. We see Christians walking around in bitterness, we see Christians walking around in anger. We see Christians walking around in grief that doesn't seem to be paired with any sort of joy. And so we need to recognize Paul is not saying, hey, this is just the way that it goes without any effort. This is just like inherently inherently true of life. Afflictions, they just produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And then hope just roots us in the spirit-filled love of God. He's not saying that. I know that it can read that way. But that is not what he's saying. It's not just inherently true about afflictions. At every point along the path, there are exit ramps. Okay? So at every point along the path towards joy in the midst of afflictions, there are exit ramps. Afflictions produce endurance. Yes, that is true. Unless you just quit and throw in the towel. Unless you just throw yourself a pity party and refuse to come to God or refuse to deal with reality. Reality. Endurance produces proven character. Absolutely it does. Unless you decide in the midst of tough times, you're going to use that difficult circumstance to just justify whatever sin and selfishness you want to engage in. Endurance produces proven character. Sure, unless you just allow it to be justification for sin as you seek comfort. In something else other than God. Proven character produces hope, certainly does, unless instead you decide to cling to anger and bitterness. Afflictions do not magically transport us into joy. Afflictions do not magically produce endurance, character, or hope rooted in the love of God. It takes effort. It is absolutely a work of God's spirit and he holds us and it takes effort. This is the Christian life. This is the walk of faith. And if we want to experience joy in our afflictions, I would argue the first thing we need to decide is this. Do you want to experience joy in your afflictions? Do you actually want joy? To rejoice in your afflictions. Here's my observation. If I could be brutally honest. A lot of people do not. A lot of people do not want joy in their afflictions. They don't want it. We would rather mope. Feel sorry for ourselves. Cling to bitterness, cling to anger, cling to hatred, cling to all kinds of stuff rather than move towards joy. And here's why. One, it's a lot easier. It is so much easier. It feels good to cling to our anger when we have walked through genuine affliction. It feels good to cling to our grief or our bitterness. It's, it's so much easier to blame everybody else or to blame everything else for what's wrong in life. And second, though, when we cling to our self-pity, when we cling to our anger, when we cling to our bitterness, when we cling to our hurts. It allows us to justify any sin and selfishness that we want in our lives. Why would we not want to pursue joy in our afflictions? Why why would we not want that? Because joy is a killer of self justification, joy is an absolute killer self-justification. Because see, if I confess that God is good and whatever he's brought into my life is good, now I have no excuse. Now I can't blame my circumstances for the way that I'm choosing to live in sin or selfishness. Selfishness with my time, Selfishness with my talents. Selfishness with. My emotions. Don't presume that you want joy in afflictions. Joy is very costly. In affliction. It requires much more of us. Than walking in anger and bitterness. Which leads us to question number three. What is required of us. To experience joy in affliction. What does it require of us? To walk in joy. In the midst of affliction. It requires much more. Than clinging to anger or bitterness. But what does it require? And here's what I think Paul is doing in our passage. He's not telling us. Inherently, what afflictions produce. Instead, he's telling us exactly what is required of us in order to experience real joy in the midst of real afflictions. And here's what's required. Number one, I'm going to give you four things. Number one, we must endure. It requires endurance. We cannot just throw in the towel when hard things happen. Joy in the midst of affliction will require endurance. And when... An unexpected tragedy comes our way or when we feel like our prayers have gone unanswered or whatever it is, we must endure. We, we don't give up. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, because we have the mercy of God, justification through Christ, we do not give up. We have mercy from God. We have his favor, so we don't give up. Verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day by the Lord. And so we don't give up. Because we know through Christ, we have greater hope. So we don't give up. Even though we're walking through affliction, even though our outer person is being destroyed, the circumstances around us, Maybe crumbling and falling apart, but our inner person is being renewed by the Lord. So we don't give up. We don't just throw in the towel. We endure. And Christ holds us in Him as we endure. Number two, we must walk in godly character. What does it require? If we want joy in affliction, it requires. Godly character. We must walk in godly character. We cannot allow hard circumstances to justify sin and selfishness. We can't allow hard circumstances to justify just stepping out of what God has called us into. We can't do it. We, can't, we, we need to seize the opportunity that afflictions provide to grow us in godly character. Afflictions are a wonderful opportunity to actually grow in godly character because it's testing us. It is stretching us. Sometimes beyond what we feel like we can handle. But God, he's like, no. I will never take you beyond what you can handle as you walk in me. Trials, they're like pouring water into a bucket. You know, sometimes we've got these Cheap dollar store buckets that we use for Halloween candy with our kids and you can't see that they've got like a hairline fracture all the way down the side of the bucket. Until you put water in it and you're like, oh boy, didn't really see that. That's what trials and afflictions do for us. They're like putting water in the bucket. We see weak spots we didn't even know we had and it's a great opportunity To grow in godly character. To come to God and to ask for His help. Remember, He is eager. He delights to give us help in our time of need. We can boldly come to His throne of grace. And He is eager to give us help. What if in our afflictions... I want you to think about this. Just consider this. What if in our afflictions we prayed more for God's help in the weak spots of our character, than we did for our circumstances to be changed. What a scary prayer that is. Number three, we must have hope. To have joy in affliction. Requires us to let go of our anger or our bitterness or our resentment or even just our perspective of our circumstances saying that's not fair and to instead have hope in the Lord, to cling to hope oftentimes the way that it works in affliction is that bitterness becomes our safety blanket. This thing, it can't hurt me anymore. This person, they can't hurt me anymore because I'm clinging to bitterness like a shield or anger like a shield. It's a mask that we hide behind. But to experience joy and affliction, hope. Has to be your security blanket. And it's not hope in new circumstances. It's not hope that whatever you've lost is going to be given back to you. It is hope in the Lord's goodness, in His promises. In his word and ultimately in eternity. 2 Corinthians 4, we go back to 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, verse 17, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen, our affliction is temporary, but what is unseen, Is eternal. We cling to hope. We have a greater hope. We have the hope of God's glory. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope that God ultimately overcomes all things. No matter what happens in this life, no matter what afflictions may come our way, we must always have hope. To have joy in affliction, it requires us to have hope in the Lord and forth. That hope must be rooted in the spirit-filled, heart-penetrating love of God. If we want to have joy in affliction, then we must be rooted in the spirit-filled, heart-penetrating love of God. And this is what it means. If you want to have joy in your afflictions, yes, you need to endure. Yes, you need to walk in godly character. Yes, you need to cling to hope. But more than anything else, you need to have a relationship with God. And your relationship with God, this is what it costs. This is what it requires to have joy and afflictions. Your relationship with God must be the kind of relationship where you are so intimate with Him that you can actually process your bitterness with God. You can process your anger with God. You can process your grief with God. You need to have a relationship with God that is so intimate that He heals your heart through the power of His Spirit and the truth of His Word. You need to have a relationship with God that is so intimate that the joy you experience with Him transcends everything that our afflictions May produce. You need to have a relationship with God where you allow Him to let you feel joy again in Him. And there's choice there's choice to get with God, to be vulnerable with God. There's choice to be a man of prayer or a woman of prayer. There is choice to process all that our afflictions are producing within us. There's choice not to cling to our anger or our bitterness, but instead to cling to the Lord and to let Him heal your heart and to choose joy in Him. And you need to trust that in all of it, God himself, he is holding you fast. And he will not let you go. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you can bring joy in the midst of affliction. I thank you that you hold us fast in Christ, that we cannot be lost God, I thank you that even in the midst of our darkest days here on earth, God, there is a reason for hope. There's always a reason for eternal hope. God, I thank you that our hope is not misplaced. It's not placed in our circumstances. It's not placed in getting back what we have lost, God. It's placed squarely in you. And thank you that this hope will never disappoint us because it's rooted in the love that you pour out into our hearts through the Spirit by whom you have sealed us. For the day of redemption and no one can take it from us, God. No one can take you from us. No affliction, no trial, no human being can take you from us, God. We thank you that that is true. We rejoice in it today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At this time, we're going to continue our worship together through communion. And as we take communion today, I want you to consider what it says in Hebrews 12 about Jesus. It says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the affliction of the cross for the joy that lay before him, so that we can have joy no matter what affliction lays before us. That is what we celebrate. In the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the work of Christ to deliver eternal joy in the midst of affliction. Jesus, he died that we could have eternal life where we had earned death. He took our place as the enemy of God. He took the death that our sin had deserved. And he gave us his righteousness, his holiness, and ultimately eternal life. He did it by his body, Which as we come to the Lord's Supper, we remember his body through the bread. His body broken for us. We remember his blood poured out for us through the cup. And if you're a believer in Christ, I just want to encourage you today. Take a few minutes here at the table of the Lord and rejoice. Rejoice together with a few other believers around you. And rejoice in the work of Christ to deliver us eternal joy in him. Okay? The elements for communion, they're under the seat in front of you. Again, if you're a believer in Christ, I would encourage you to rejoice in uh, communion together. If you're not yet in Christ, then the elements are not yet for you. Our prayer, our hope is that you would one day be able to join us at the Lord's table uh, through faith in Christ. But if you're not yet in Christ, that day is not yet uh, today. I want to encourage you, though. Wrestle with Jesus, okay? Don't sit idly, but wrestle with him and the truth of the gospel. Let me pray, and then you can take a few minutes rejoicing in the work of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Christ to redeem us, to reconcile us back to you. Thank you that it is your work that produces salvation, God. Thank you, ultimately, God, that we can trust that you hold us. You hold us in salvation, and you will bring us safely all the way to eternal life in you. God, I pray that this time of communion, God, would just fill our hearts with joy as we consider the work of Christ to give us life where we had in death, God. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.